Hello, my name is Nathan Foster, and it is my great pleasure to host the Renovare Weekly Podcast. My guest this week is Deidre Lanou, and Deidre received her PhD in Religious Studies, and in doing such, she did her dissertation on Henry Nouwen, which resulted in a book, The Spiritual Legacy of Henry Nouwen. I was sitting down with her to do some interviews for the Renovare Book Club and thought it might be fun to share some of her insights with with you all. And so in this interview, we talked about Henry Nouwen and some of the things she learned. Um, just such a fun conversation for me as a, uh, a, a big fan of Nouwen's work. Um, for those of you who are interested, there's still time to join the book club as we're beginning to work with uh, his book, The Life of the Beloved, and it gives an opportunity to have some discussion and hear some further interviews and uh, actually ask Deidre uh, questions directly. As always, thank you for listening and enjoy. Deidre, how are you? Hey, Nathan. It's great to be with you. Oh, I'm so glad you have a chance to sit down and, and chat because you're our now an uh, expert uh, for Renovare, so you, you bring a lot to the table for us. Oh, well, I appreciate that. The word expert is intimidating, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try to live up to it. That's right. <laughs> well, maybe just start, tell us a little bit about um, your work with now and, and uh, professionally what you've done with that. Sure, yeah. So um, when I was working on my PhD in religious studies, you know, the, the age-old quest for uh, what you're going to do your project on and I really made that a matter of prayer and wanted the Lord to lead me to a topic that would be, in a sense, transformational for me, mm -hmm. um, as well as perhaps offer something of value uh, besides just sitting on the library shelf. And um, I ended up exploring the idea of, of writing on the spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen, especially for the North American uh, his church history setting. And uh, it turns out that nobody had, had written on him at all at that time. And so it ended up being a, a fruitful idea. So um, actually, he was still alive, living at the time. So we corresponded. He was gracious. He gave me a blessing for that. And he said that he would be glad to spend time with me once he returned from his sabbatical that he was taking for a year. Um, he had committed to his community that he would not do any interviews until he returned. <laughs> so that was great. I got my everything all set up. And then it turns out, unfortunately, um, he died of a heart attack just a couple of weeks before he was to return <laughs> uh, to his work. So I never got to meet Nowen, but I certainly met him through his writing, through his colleagues, through the communities that he ministered to. And that dissertation ended up being picked up as a book um, mm -hmm. called, called The Spiritual Legacy of Henry Nowen. And um, through that book, it's given me an opportunity to uh, lectures uh, in the academy, as well as just speak to groups about him and serve on the Henry Nowen Society board and, you know, just a bunch of different opportunities to sort of help uh, pass along the blessing of this life mm -hmm. of Henry Nowen. I'm curious, what did he think about someone writing their dissertation on his um, spiritual legacy? Yeah, um, you know, he mentioned in his letter that he, he you know, found that a little bit um, uh, intimidating. I'm not sure he used the word intimidating, <laughs> but, you know, that he was surprised. Um, 
and yet very gracious, um, you know, extremely open, you know, and, you know, that's kind of the character of Henry when you read his books. He was he was open. He was transparent. He was immediately open to friendship. Henry was not someone who had pretensions and, you know, was was closed off. And um, so he responded very graciously and, um, you know, pointed me toward where his archives were being kept at the time at Yale and introduced me to that person and, you know, got me going. So he was just a very gracious man. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard that from other people. I, I never got a chance to meet him, but that he was the real deal. The, the now when we meet in his in his books was accurate to who he was. Exactly so. And, you know, for some people that was he was almost painfully transparent. Um, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think some people would have, you know, preferred their spiritual guide be, you know, a little more uh, ivory tower, uh, you know, not not so down to earth. Um, but Henry was open. Mm-hmm. He was an open book. Well, I've I've always found him very interesting in the sense that he's very accomplished acad- academically and in, in his publishing, but yet he writes so accessible to every day and deep, but yet engaging. Um, maybe just, you know, if, if someone is not familiar with the work of Henry Nouwen, could you give us just a short sketch of his uh, life? Sure. Um, Henry um, was Dutch. He was born in the Netherlands. Um, he uh, says that from the time he was six years old or so, he he felt called to the priesthood in mm-hmm. the Roman Catholic Church. Um, he had a family that was devoutly Roman Catholic. And uh, so he followed that line of education and he was educated, ordained in the 1950s. Um, and then he got very interested in the interface of faith or religion and psychology. Mm-hmm. So he requested that opportunity to study psychology at the graduate level, which he was allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, He even came, that was really his first time to live in the United States. He came over to the Menninger Clinic in Topeka, Kansas, um, Mm -hmm. and did did some work there. And from there, got invited to Notre Dame. So the Notre Dame was the first place he was invited to come teach um, for a year or so. That's also when he got his first book published and that career kind of got started for him. All the while, he's a Roman Catholic priest, so mm-hmm. he still has responsibility to his diocese back in the Netherlands. Um, but they, so he went back home for a while, kept up those studies, worked on doctoral work, although interestingly, he never wrote a dissertation. Really? Um, and at the time, Yale was heavily courting him. Yale Divinity School wanted him to come and teach there. Mm-hmm. And so eventually he said yes, and he came and taught at Yale Divinity School for 10 years. And this brings up, I think, the point you made about his um, his education, and yet he was so pastoral. Um, Nowen thrived in the academy in that he was very popular with the students, and he, he really was a pastor, in a sense, to those students more than he was a professor. And because that was his heart and that was his temperament. And in some ways that didn't go over well in the Yale environment uh, as far as his professional career was was concerned. Um, and now one felt a lot of competition and that was not his nature. He didn't like that. Eventually in his writing, you know, he mentions that he um, it was killing his soul 
And so that's why eventually he left the academy. But he was at Yale um, till for about 10 years. Without um, his PhD. Is that, he never finished? Yeah, without his PhD. That's a little bit of a funny story because um, when they were, when Yale had to pursue him several times because he kept saying no. And then finally he said, okay, well, I'll consider coming, but don't even think about making me write a dissertation. Um, <laughs> Because I'm already doing writing that I want to do, and, and I'm not interested in doing something that's narrowly prescribed, and so take me or leave me. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he wasn't going to start doing academic writing for them. Right. Okay. Exactly right. So uh, they said yes, because uh, they wanted him uh, that much, and, and so they invited him to come anyway. That could be also a little bit of some of the struggle with professional colleagues and stuff where maybe they, you know, struggled to perhaps accept him, you know, in some ways. Um, but like I said, he was immensely popular. His classrooms were full to overflowing, standing room only, um, you know, and, and he not only did classes with students, he met students after class, he brought them to his home, he celebrated the Eucharist with them, you know, mm -hmm. in all kinds of ways. And so, as I said, official or not, he was a campus pastor in, in a lot of ways to his students. Um, and when you meet and, and talk with people who were his students at the time, that's how they will describe him. Mm, you know? Pastoral. Yeah, they were fascinated, of course, by his teaching and his work and the way he expressed and talked about the spiritual life. But I think they were mostly uh, grabbed by him because he was so accessible. And he was so pastoral in the way he talked about the Christian life, practical, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you might say. So mm -hmm. um, anyway, he, he eventually left Yale. He sort of considered the idea of being a missionary <laughs> in South America. He was very um, drawn to all of the situations that were going on, especially in Central America. He went down there and spent a few months with some Roman Catholic missionary friends down there and said, I'm exploring the possibility that God may be calling me to this. And pretty quickly they said, uh, Henry, God is not calling you to be a missionary. Uh, you, you would never make it down here. Uh, you, just, you, you just are not built for this. Um, but please go home and write about us and tell our story. Was that a rejection to him? You know, I think in some ways he figured out that they were right. Okay. Um, okay. It, I don't think it took him long to to accept that that he knew that they were correct in uh -huh. that assessment. Uh, but again, that left him a little bit of a drift. He Harvard took the opportunity to invite him to come teach there, which he did for two semesters. But again, he really was not comfortable in that environment. Mm -hmm. And that's when he explored um, the ministry of L'Arche mm -hmm. with Jean Vanier. Mm -hmm in France. And he spent an entire year with Jean Vanier mm -hmm. in France and uh, really felt at home there, seemed to find a new calling there. And then the L'Arche Daybreak community up in Toronto mm -hmm. invited him to come be their pastor. Mm -hmm. So for the last 10 years of his life and ministry, he was up in Toronto um, as that community pastor. But of course, he was still writing. Mm -hmm. um, Bought, you know, many, many books uh, speaking all over. But so but as much as he could do that pastoral job and do it well and be present as much as he needed to be present and yet do the traveling that he needed to, he sort of tried to 
balance that ship for mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. rest of his ministry. And, and, and that, um, was, that was a community of uh, adults dis- with disabilities, correct? Yes, yeah. The, so the description of, of L'Arche, is, it's a French word for the ark. Uh, it's the idea of uh, Jean Meunier's vision was to bring people who had mental handicaps into regular homes, in regular communities with caregivers, and then set up all the various resources of care that they needed right there in the neighborhood mm-hmm. as much as possible. Mm-hmm. These uh, handicapped um, folks were called the core members because he viewed them as central mm-hmm. to, the, to the ministry and to the community, and then brought along assistants who uh, would view them that way and care for them that way and let their, you know, let their lives speak mm-hmm. as much as mm-hmm. their lives could speak and be expressed and find their gifting and that kind of thing. So it's really ironic that Henry left this renowned academic <laughs> setting. Um, you know, he's a professor. He's well-liked. He's written lots of books, you know, considered an extraordinary communicator. And yet he's, he's brought to pastor a community that, you know, really in a sense didn't give a flip about <laughs> any book um, that he could have written. Um, you know, they were just entertained by the fact that he couldn't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> and uh, that he couldn't do his own laundry. Um, you know, that he, that he couldn't seem to find the knives and forks when, you know, they needed to set the table. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was a real humbling journey for uh-huh. Henry. Um, and he writes a lot about that idea of downward mobility mm-hmm. and um, the idea of serving and, uh, you know, serving the least. And yet how God manifested himself, you know, through that community and mm-hmm. how he was given so much and learned so much mm-hmm. uh, I, through the lives there. I love that picture of downward mobility to leave a professorship at Yale and Harvard to to go yes. be a pastor to people who are unimpressed with his uh, credentialing. Um, exactly. And yeah, you helped me out with this. I've, I've, I've read a number of books uh, by, by now, and, and it seems to me that his experiences with Larsh seep into his writing more than anything of his other professional work. Is that, I mean, just this richness of human experience there. Is that an accurate? I think that's a very accurate statement. Yes, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But yes, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. And I it, think that's true. To me, it gives a, um, a credibility to his work that there's this kind of lived out in, in the most simple ways with uh, these beautiful people there. Yeah, you know, Henry, I, I really, Henry wasn't perfect by any means. You ask anybody who knew him well at all, you know, they would tell you all of his quirks. But, <laughs> um, you know, but that's reassuring to me. Uh, mm-hmm. in some ways, uh, that were all that way. But, um, but Henry was the real deal as far as wanting to love God with all that he was mm-hmm. and wanting to love others as much as himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the two greatest commandments, it seems like, you know, that was the core reality and the focus of his life as a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it was the real deal. Mm-hmm. Sure. He could, you know, get impatient or sure he could, you know, uh, be on the outs with a friend or, you know, something like that, like all of us failed. But he, for the most part, was very much driven mm-hmm. by his by his fellowship of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. 
And I think you're right. I think at large, it just gains an incredible depth of how to live it out, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, than he had ever been challenged to do before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and Henry's MO was that anything he experienced or felt, he wrote down, <laughs> you know, because that was a way of, of processing it, mm -hmm. I think, uh, mm -hmm. for him. And then, you know, Henry was teased because, he, you know, they would say he never had an unpublished thought. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an interesting thing to his books because, I mean, in one sense, it feels that you feel his own process and almost journal-ish. Um, yes. Yet there's a substance, but it does make it very engaging uh, in, in terms of easy to read, but yet very thoughtful. Um, I've been a fan for years of, of now and just found his, his work so helpful. Yeah. Very, very useful. Very now and had a real gift for, you know, distilling things down, um, mm -hmm. you know, into two or three, two or three, you know, main points. Mm -hmm. And his, his books are usually not that big. And that's he why would, I like him. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people do. Yeah. And, you know, he would find the most beautiful images um, to, to use um, as, as the, the thread, um, you know, for his work. And you see that in, in the book Life of the Beloved that we'll be talking mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm. You know, you just see he takes the, the beautiful image of the Eucharist. So mm -hmm. did, did, well, tell us about your dissertation. What, what was that? And, and yes. your book, actually, your, your book. Yeah, so the project ended up uh, asking the question, what was, um, what was Nowen's place um, in the history of Christian spirituality, especially, okay. in, especially in North America? Uh -huh. And um, so it's, it's not strictly a biography. It's more of there is chapter that is biography, but it, it also tries to uh, capture the various themes in his spirituality that occur again and again in his writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then to make, you know, some kind of a summary about why Henry had such a profound influence, um, mm. in, you know, in the later 20th century uh, in North America and Canada. Mm. So um, it ended up being published as the book entitled The Spiritual Legacy of Henry Nowen. Mm -hmm. So uh, pretty straightforward. And uh, we took all the dissertation ease out of it <laughs> and, you know, tried to distill it down to those uh, simple points and simple questions. So mm -hmm. if you if you just want an overall look at Henry's not just his life, but also his ideas and his writing, then this is this, this is, is the book that came about. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so I have a question then in terms of his place in in, in history and his legacy. That mm -hmm. something I've been working with, and I'd be curious to hear your opinion, that he feels to me like a pioneer in the modern era of writing about the spiritual life in a very vulnerable and transparent way. So like yeah. him and um, Beekner and Brennan Manning, they all seem to have this kind of flavor. Does, you're shaking your head. Is that? Yes. Yes. Right? I, I think you definitely have got him in, in a good company there. <laughs> and and I think that has, I mean, if you look from the 80s on, many, many people have kind of followed suit with writing more transparently about the Christian life and some of the ugliness and, and beautifulness of that. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, 
in a sense, not hiding his brokenness, um, not hiding his woundedness, but, you know, he's uh, one of his early books, you know, was uh, The Wounded Healer. And, you know, so that, yeah, that idea. And I think, you know, his study in psychology really prompted him in that direction because that was really the language, you know, more in America in the ni- in the 1960s when he really started writing and speaking. And, you know, we had a social revolution and everything was awash and felt chaotic um, socially. And yet, so here was a person who was really trying to step in and speak um, into that psychological mindset and turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you do see, that's, I didn't know that about his training in psychology. I mean, you see pieces of sense of knowing human um, motivations, experiences really well, but not in psychological language per se. Yeah, he doesn't use the, you know, the vocabulary um, that might, um, you know, give you a clue to that or, you know, in a sense might intimidate you because you don't understand that terminology. He he stayed away from the terminology, but he, he found a way to express the realities <laughs> of it. Well, the other thing I've noticed, um, this is fun for me, I get to ask someone all my now and questions, <laughs> um, is, is, you know, being a priest, single, no children. Um, so then his personal relationships became central. And it almost seems like it cleared space for him to express things that those of us who are married or have children experience, but yet in kind of a, a, a rawness, or maybe he has more I don't know what I'm asking, but it, it seems that that influenced uh, his his writing, his being single without kids. It definitely did. I, you know, and uh, I mean, think about it. If you if you are thinking or feeling, sensing from the time you're six as a little boy that you're going to be a Roman Catholic priest, you know, from that moment on, as much as you understand it, you realize you're never going to have a specific intimate relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know, or you're not you're not supposed to. And, you know, so from that time on, you know, he begins to focus and nurture all his relationships, you know, either into his work or his ministry or his friends, you know, or his family's life. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I think that profoundly shaped him. It, it, ga- it did create space for him. It also created a lot of angst for him <laughs> and a lot of difficulty and a lot of loneliness and a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but even out of that, Henry found a place to acknowledge it and to embrace it and to somehow look to God and ask the question, where are you in this? Mm-hmm. What, do you, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? And, you know, he would just write experientially mm-hmm. um, about it. That's what it is. It, it's almost as if his experiences in personal relationships and loneliness is so raw and encompassing it, whereas if you're married and have children that's it's there but not in the same in the same way um, and right. so he's able to kind of touch at least for me scratch some of those human longings in a, in a really profound way yeah basic human longings and desires you know that are that are there for just about everyone mm. or, or probably we would be safe to say everyone yeah and um, and I think that's why Henry was so able to touch people he'd never met through his writing. Um, you know, people would often say when I would talk to them about, 
reading him, they would say, I felt like I knew him. Mm -hmm. And even more importantly, I felt like he knew me. Mm -hmm. And Henry would very often say, the most personal is the most universal. Mm -hmm. You think that only you could be feeling this or going through this. And yet he found a way to express, no, this is a human thing. This is a human experience. And this is where God is in it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I think attracted people so much to his life and ministry. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what, I mean, for me, when I encountered now and years ago, it it almost gave me permission to, oh, okay. (laughs) What's most personal is universal and and we're in this together. And so helpful. Yes. Well, we're working with one of his books in the book club, uh, The Life of the Beloved, and and I get to do some exclusive interviews with you for the book club. Um, But I thought for this general podcast, maybe a few things you might want to say about the book, The Life of the Beloved. Yeah, you know, I had the opportunity. You guys gave me the privilege of of offering up two or three ideas of of what we might look at. And this is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... The, the title itself tells you part of why it's one of my favorites. His, one of the major themes of his writing is on this idea of what it means to be the beloved son or the beloved daughter of God. And so in this book, he is trying to capture that idea and what it means to be the, lo- the beloved and how to accept that, but then also how to live it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it might look like in the end. And so he takes that beautiful image of the Eucharist and this, you know, the idea that Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he uses those themes uh, for each of his chapters to describe um, this life. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lovely work. He, uh, he, he, he originally wrote it for a friend. Yeah, I love the story. <laughs> Yeah. You want me to go ahead and tell it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He wrote it for a friend uh, that he had met through a a journalistic newspaper interview. And and this guy was a secular, uh, he called himself a secular Jew. Mm -hmm. And they struck up a friendship as Henry could and would. Um, I mean, I think before the guy's walking out of his office the first day, he's asking him what he most wants in his life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's his deepest longing? And you know, how could Henry help help him make that come true, uh, which is so Henry. Um, and so this guy, Fred, ended up saying, hey, write a book for someone like me, mm-hmm. you know, for us who, who are secular and we're so busy into our own lives and work and New family. York, New York City. New right? York City. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, in, in the in the midst and fray uh, of of all of that kind of life. And so. Henry took him up on the challenge and he wrote this book like a letter, like he was speaking and he, he calls up particular experiences in Fred's life, you know, just like he's writing him a letter. And, um, and he, he thinks, he hopes he is trying to, in a sense, distill down what it means to what Christian spirituality is, what it, what it means to live life as a human being created by God. And his friend reads the book. Do you want me to go ahead and tell the Oh, do, because to me that it. made it so wonderful. Yeah, so <laughs> his friend reads the book, and he basically says, um, no, you, you missed the boat. Um, you know, this, is, this doesn't even begin to, to connect, um, you know, for me and my friends and where we are. Um, 
Because he's, try, he's trying to introduce the Christian life, right? To, yeah. Here's an accessible way to enter into life with God. And, yeah. And, and I think his friend, you know, maybe his expectation was that it would be more apologetic, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he says, we, you know, you begin already with the assumption of God mm-hmm. uh, and, that, and that we believe God exists and I'm not there and mm-hmm. my friends are not there. And, and so in that sense, he felt like Henry completely missed it, didn't connect with him, didn't connect with his friends. <laughs> However, he passed it around to several other friends who, who were believers and they said, oh my gosh, this is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it speaks and describes you know, the Christian life in such lovely terms. You need to publish it. Mm-hmm. And so um, a, a failed project and yet, he, <laughs> and yet not a failure. You know. I I actually thought in 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 reading that that the book I mean it's certainly very helpful you know for uh, Christians to read but I actually think it's the book to give to non Christians I, I think agree. he succeeded in it because it just it cuts through the debates you know the big kind of difficult questions and and just says look this is practical this is real life and it's accessible. So I, I actually think he was very successful in that, although obviously it didn't work for his friends at that point. <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and ask him. But it would be, and in fact, you know, I've thought several times. I wonder if we could track this guy down and and you know ask him about it now. But I've never done that. <laughs> oh, let's find Fred and the, the, you and I can sit and talk with him. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> be, be fun. Um, yeah, but no, I agree. I think um, I think this is a great book to to give to folks who are at least considering or searching, you know, or looking. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you might give it to them with the caveat of saying, if you at least even can consider the idea, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that God, um, that God exists and that you are his creation. You know, let me let me tell you about use this book to tell you about it mm-hmm. and, you know, and about Jesus in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. It's a great book. Well, this is very helpful. I so much uh, appreciate hearing from you. Um, and and for, for people listening, um, there is still time if people would like to join the book club. And uh, we're just getting ready to read this book. And then there's opportunities for discussion and then more podcasts with Deidre. And then are you pulling some notes together, uh, essays for people in the book club? Yes, I am. Yeah, I've already pulled one together as it's sort of an intro and then going to bring along a couple of more, um, plus maybe some links to some other sources that, you know, folks might want to look up if they have time. Great. And and the last podcast, I think Carolyn will do it with you, is that when readers ask you questions directly and then you answer them. Okay, great. Oh, yes, that's what's happening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, Deidre, for, uh, for sitting down chatting. Oh, it's a joy. Thanks, Nate.